0: Richard Fieldhouse
1: and I'm Sarah Chambers and we're here with the NASGP's latest episode of our podcast and we've got several interesting topics today. Richard's going to talk to us about an interesting encounter with an old friend of his who's a pilot and his reflections on locum work following that. We've got the latest nice uh, September 2017 guidance on endometriosis that Louise Hudman has kindly written a blog for us for. We've got an article on IR35 a little bit of a chat about other podcasts you might find helpful a shout out for a, an LM birmingham lmc conference that's coming up and finishing up with a request for help on a little survey that we're doing yeah so um richard tell us about your your pilot's encounter Yes. Yeah.
0: sorry <laughs> um so, so yeah so so uh, last week i was off to the midlands to um, um, um so, some meetings and i was standing at our Local train station and I saw this very dashing figure of a of, a, of a middle-aged man in his pilot suit thinking, wow, how, how cool does that look? That's something I don't often see on the platform. And then he sort of waved over to me and actually it turned out it was a friend from school who I'm normally, normally used to seeing him wearing shorts uh, from the school school uh, pickup. But, um, Today he was wearing, or that day he was wearing his uh, pilot's uniform. And he was in, actually, it turned out he's a locum pilot. Oh. Um, he'd been woken up at six o'clock that morning and was asked to fly a Dreamline, a, a Boeing, I think it's a Boeing, Dreamliner 787, 300 passenger flight um, from the UK over to um, the, the uh, Caribbean. And uh, so... He was obviously very excited. I, I, he had his uh, whole work plan, which he um, instantly downloaded off the internet that morning with all the, uh, in, this incredible um, piece of software on his iPad with all the flight details, all the, all the um, statistics about the plane, for example, 60 tonnes of fuel. 60 tonnes of fuel this plane would require but also the safety margins that they would need about four percent they they had automatically assigned him an extra four percent to cope with emergency landings it intricately detailed every single Mm -hmm. stop 40 or 50 of those between here and and the Caribbean that his flight would take The, the weather patterns for all these different areas charts and everything um but also, and I asked him about this fuel because, you know, 4% variability, bearing in mind hurricane season and all that kind of thing. But he, but he reassured me that as the pilot, he's allowed to change that. He can override anything, basically. They they, name, they allow him to have this sort of pilot's sort of professional autonomy to, to mm. do that. He's the pilot, after all. Um, and, of course, of course, you know, the safety of his passengers and how, how reassuring it was to see this as, as, as an occasional, um, very occasional Uh, uh, airline passenger myself but then i was thinking you know i can see where you're coming here we are (laughs) as 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 gps and 300 passengers we see about 300 patients in a in a a two two week period two or three Mm, week period quite easily Mm -hmm. um and for every single one of those we can prescribe or um, all sorts of, uh, you know, dozens, hundreds of different types of, of chemicals and treatments and management plans. And each one could have a significant impact on um, on patient safety. And, uh, and we were re- I was reading a book earlier this summer, the, the black box thinking, which talked about it every year in the United States. Roughly w- one jumbo jet full of people, the equivalent of, um, die. In the U.S., because of medical errors, and and how the culture of safety uh, is is in in healthcare systems is so at odds with mm. that of the airline industry. So to see, um, um to my old friend. Um, in that industry, i am doing almost the same job. A locum pilot. A locum pilot, and and, and also because I was after the Midlands to talk predominantly about uh, practice and spip and all these others and locum deck and everything. Of course, spip is, is one of our, is is not it's quite flight, as shiny. Can I
1: say it's like the flight plan? It, it would have been like the documentation. Yeah, he had his the operation manual. Yeah. Or each practice
0: because we can actually um the beauty of having a practice going work is turning up to work in a practice which has got a standardized practice information portal part, part of practice is that the night before the morning before you can actually um go online and look at that practices local induction pack all bells and whistles you can look at conversations messaging um and the latest guidelines all of this and this is this is Us as an organisation, that's our attempt to replicate what the airline industry is doing. Mm -hmm. Um, Yours and my experience of locuming for for 35 years between us in over 100 GP practices with the biggest element of stress, I think, working as a GP locum is not having that practice specific cl- information yeah. non-clinical information at your fingertips how each practice operates' it, it,
1: it's, it is it is the non-clinical things we want to make the only complexity that we see that we have to experience should be the clinical complexity of the patients and the different that the vast and wonderful case mix that we get in general practice that's really the only variation and complexity we should face but the the, the silly but important stuff should just, be easy, easy. It we should just be able to skim over it very, very easily mm. and have have it all prepared, I think. Mm um so we look we look forward to the day when we have a safety culture and preparation and induction that is equivalent to a locum's a locum pilot
0: it would be amazing wouldn't it and, and then and maybe
1: u- uniforms maybe uniforms
0: <laughs> like a nice little peaked cap <laughs>
1: you, you were quite taken with the uniform he had one of these removable ties mm. as
0: well. well that's
1: to stop you being assaulted, I think. Yeah. Oh, okay, a, yeah a local school has those um so thank thank you, Richard, for your reflections um, Pleasure, about sorry. meeting a pilot. Um, so, uh, a second item that we wanted to just uh, mention to you was the Louise Hudman's latest clinical synopsis of the endometriosis guideline. That from was, from that Nice. Um, hot off the press September 2017 um, Richard you you've been busy reading it yeah it's
0: um it's it's a it's a clinical scenario I haven't come actually I haven't, I haven't seen any presentations for you, for a while well
1: you might have seen it a lot more than you think Often <laughs> which is very unhappy yeah uh, people with endometriosis I've come across I know it can vary um,
0: in its presentation but yeah let's get going through the um um the presentations of it um went to st- a, a, a really good algorithm that louise has put a link to in the article which goes straight through to the nice website of a really nice um chart the flow charts um about about symptomatology and one that struck out for me there was of course if the if the um your, your patient is a uh, as infertility problems, that is a, a specific indication to think about further managing and, and, and referring on. Um, there was quite a, a, a basic rundown of, of the tr- trials of therapy with mm. with a combination of paracetamol and non-steroidals. And, and the... I'm not the sort of person who would actually ever read a fully blown um nice guideline but Louise really goes into these forensically and also pointed out stuff that was not in the algorithm but actually was alluded to in the guideline itself it was actually using combination parasocial non-suit with with um combined oral contraceptive or progesterone as well bearing in mind it can take the hormonal therapies several mm. months to kick in and start working so that that was that was a useful yeah. additional bit of information yeah. that wouldn't have else have been there
1: i think i think the i think a couple of things that that stood out for me were that um louise uh and then referencing nice says obviously thinking about it in in people even even people ladies under 17 um, presenting with you know painful heavy periods I think it it is obviously commoner as you get older and the, the diagnosis usually tends to be um in in ladies at slightly older in their 30s although there's there's a perhaps a, a lag there where it can take some years to be diagnosed uh, we understand um but to, th- to think of it in younger people but obviously what, what it doesn't talk about ex- explicitly uh, in louise's synopsis is that when i'm seeing a younger person or any lady with with heavy painful periods you're also um I guess, excluding other things. And that's the thing, it's, it's a great, it, it, its presentation can really vary depending on um, the, the extent and the site of the uh, endometriosis deposits. Yes, yes. Um, the, the, the other thing I always wonder about with um, endometriosis is there's the two angles, I think, that you're usually trying to treat. One of it is, is the presentation of, of the, the person who's having pain. And the second um, angle can be the fertility um, issues. But in terms of of treating the pain, I always feel a a drive, um, uh, even if they're on adequate painkillers, and perhaps this is just me talking, I don't know if this (laughs) is true, I always want to ask somebody this, and I've never been able to find out, but I always feel this drive, even if somebody has got um, adequate painkillers, to to want to give people uh, hormonal... Treatments too, just with my, my my brain ticking away, thinking, but is that going to? Uh, if you're dulling the disease activity really by by putting them into uh, a pro-estrogenic state and stopping them bleeding are you therefore decreasing um, the size of the deposits are you decreasing um, scarring and adhesions as a result of those deposits and is that going to protect their fertility later in life obviously for people in whom it's safe to give uh, hormones to and um, obviously for people that might be wanting contraception and don't want fertility at that time but I always feel this this drive that they they should be on something. I'd love to, if anybody has a special interest in in women's health and can comment on that. I'd um, I'd I'd really like to. So to are know. these
0: hormonal treatments as well as being for pain relief also disease modifying? As yeah, I were. just want
1: yeah. Are they yeah. disease modifying? Does it protect fertility? I think in the synopsis, Louise says it doesn't. Giving hormonal treatments doesn't have a negative impact on their fertility. But I'm just wondering. Well, actually, does it? protect Have a beneficial effect fertility later on when they want fertility yeah yeah that was just my thought
0: no, i like it so so you can leave uh, from this podcast on your podcast app there is a link to the blog page um where you can leave a comment for sarah uh if you want to
1: please do I need <laughs> some education um richard um moving on to the next item in yeah. this so it's Ir thirty five. Oh,
0: so sexy. Yeah.
1: And this is you've written a blog. Yeah, this on is This
0: is putting together um, various sources of information, and, and we've again we've, we've we've put this past um, 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 a, a very experienced accountant as well to to take a look at it as well. Um, and it's really about the whole. In this intermediaries legislation, um, which which you probably already know about, mm. um, but we've on this article is actually much more of a slant on how can you make it work for you rather than against you, um, and and in a nutshell, uh, many of us GP locums are freelance, we're self-employed, we're sole traders, we don't have limited companies, we get an HS pension. That works well, but some of us don't want NHS pension. We prefer to have the the tax advantages of paying ourselves via a limited company. So, say so signing up for a limited company, okay, you've got to pay a bit more for accountancy fees for so that because they're quite complex. But the beauty is you then pay yourself a small salary. So therefore, you have to pay your national insurance and tax. But because you're paying yourself a very small salary, you don't pay much tax on it. But instead, you then pay yourselves uh, um, through via dividends, which is your shares, which is your profits of your little company. And you can pay yourself the rest from that. And that, that attracts a much lower rate of tax, which is why they're so popular. Although that's changed a lot in the last it's,
1: few it's years. It's complex, isn't it? It's,
0: it's complex. And also absolutely. the government has yeah. been less favourable towards that because because it, it's been such a wheeze for the last five, ten years. Perhaps people have cottoned on to it. It means the tax man is getting much less tax for our hospitals and schools and roads. So they want to get tax in other ways. Hence this new IR35 intermediary legislation. They want to get tax out of it in a different way if you're paying yourself through this limited company, this intermediary company. Now what they've done Um, is uh, i understand it harks back from something about the bbc um i was being told uh, by Mm -hmm. a a different accountant a few weeks ago but now it's it's, this is now in, in the public sector and this now applies to the public sector and it's now no longer you as the locum who get to choose how you're gonna do this it's actually down to the person who's engaging you um to decide whether you're um um Ineffectively using this intermediaries company and if you've got a limited company you definitely are but also it raises this issue that if just at the end of the day you can call yourself self-employed or what you like it's actually not within your within your gift to actually solidly define whether I am self-employed or you're self-employed, it's actually down to the tax man. The taxman gets the final say in terms of your tax status as an employee. So there's three types of status as a, as, as, a, as an employee. There's your tax status with the taxman. There's your um, legal rights status uh, as, as an employed person, irrespective of tax. And the third reason, which applies to us people in the NHS, is the NHS pensions definition of employee, which is, again, is quite different.
1: So they're three different things.
0: Three different, yeah, brilliant. It's brilliant, isn't it? They don't
1: always marry up in all ways, hence the confusion, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So,
0: so, so the, the thing here then, yes, is, is therefore that that, that um, because it seems that the l- l- large hospital trusts and even CCGs are just basically just to reduce the risk of themselves getting a fine down the line for having wrongly perceived you to be um, self-employed when, in fact, you could have been an employee. So you're
1: saying the decision is with the uh, engaging authority organisation, be it a trust, be it a practice, be it a CCG, but also the cost of any back payments or penalties is also borne by them. Yes, So yes. this might lead on to what you're about. Because if
0: to a say. practice has been engaging you as a, as, as a, as a freelance GP, sole, sole trader, self-employed locum for the last two years, and the taxman goes to the practice and says, oh, actually, no, I can." The, my definition, the, the definition is you should have treated them as an employee for tax purposes, the taxman will then go after not you, but the practice. So the, the practice have got a lot to lose here.
1: You've just said something else there, Richard, because I thought with intermediary legislation we were talking about the use of an intermediary company, a limited company, but you've just brought in the idea that uh, as a freelance, independent, sole trader G- GP, not using a limited company, that they could also be seen as an employee.
0: Yes, it, because it seems to be that there seems to be almost like this black hole or a definition. This this Basically, I think the black hole really is, is the HMRC's... Um, new tax calculator tool that they have online and if um, your employer is punching all your details into that um, uh, or you are whether you've got an intermediary or not the score can come up stating that puts you on the puts you down as an employee and 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 it it all so, so so therefore even though for all sorts of good reasons, that you, you would very much be a, a self-employed person. You can be interpreted as, as an employee.
1: So officially it's meant to be about limited companies, but sole traders, um, such as many of us are, are being sucked into this. I know that we've certainly had reports, comments and reports to the NASGP that, that sole, sole traders are having this.
0: Um, applied to them, yeah. that, would, if you're a sole trader, you're a sole trader. It would be wrong to treat you as an employee. But some of these, it seems that the the output of these calculations is somehow wrongly mm. defining um, what would clearly be a, a sole trader to you or I, but to the people who are inputting this at CCG level or hospital trust level. Yeah as as an as an employee rather and than self and this
1: calculator it's i think you it's a, if you just google the HMRC employment uh, status checker or tool um, that will um, that will lead you to it. And, and I'm going to put
0: of... I'm going to put that link on the blog as well. So okay. when you when uh, when this goes yes. live, you'll be able to see I, that. I have
1: to say I've I've done it about a, a few times for different jobs, and it, it's quite difficult. The slant of the questions, you, in in good faith, you can not quite understand them or answer them in different ways and get a different. Well, answer so it's like answer. It's it's, it is very great It's
0: like right. It's like sitting an A level paper for an <laughs> exam you've not actually studied for.
1: Inter- interestingly, one one of the things that that it does talk to you about, it does ask about. Are the are the sort of the working arrangements who's arranging your work um is the uh, end client i.e. the practice or the federate or the the, C, the ccg are they determining the work you do and the hours you do or are you, or are you determining that it and if you as the uh, as the as, as the person doing the work are setting your terms and you're specifying what work you're going to do and the hours that you're going to do it within then that that's seen as a badge of self-employment that that pushes you more in towards being seen as self-employed so i guess it's a shout out for having uh, for all the other good reasons why you would want to be defining and having written agreements about your your work um, and being in control of that and having your safe working boundaries it's another a feather in the cap of having those written agreements um, about your bookings with practices, and you um, having some control and input into those.
0: Which is which is a sell really for the our locum, NASGP's Locum Deck platform because it's we've got there a smorgasbord of terms and condition um, terms and conditions that you can choose to define the way you work and include all that in there, and they've been um, um, collated for us by a lawyer to help you. Make sure that you are as much as possible at the at the self employed end of the spectrum, um, and of course, this also slightly goes against organi- working for an organization where they define your terms and conditions rather than you define your own personal yeah. terms and conditions uh, in in this. another thing i was I was chatting to a, a different accountant about recently was the fact that um, another big thing with IR thirty five is whether you get to ch- choose a substitution. Um, if you can't turn up, if you're booked for a locum session and you can't make it for some reason, are you allowed to, or the, your organisation, whatever you allowed to find someone else and, and put them in your place and, and get them to go in instead of you? And, and actually this this... Bearing in mind, we at NESGP came up with the whole chambers idea. This accountant was telling me that isn't this a great reason to have chambers? Because chambers yeah. are uh, do do that. You can you because you work in that team through an, as a num, with I, an umbrella. I
1: suppose certain con, certain con chambers configurations would, but I'm guessing if. It, I guess it would. Yes, it would it depend, depend on, on, configuration. on the configuration of the chamber. I guess. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. And
0: if if you're if if you're listening to this, and I've got a couple of um chums, kind of locum colleagues who are interested in working um uh, as part of a chambers uh, get in touch um with we've with, with with our locum deck platform continually evolving and getting slicker and leaner it's, it's something that we can actually um we're looking at now as, as people approach us to to actually combine mm. um your uh, allow you to use manage your chambers on, on locum
1: deck yeah, uh, getting you all together yeah so I mean but you going back to the article just, just finally you've talked you, you were saying that actually you know imagine you're um, uh, a locum that's had regular a few sessions a week some sessions a week at a practice for a long time um, and really it's it's perhaps it's a fair cop You you might be seen as employed for that and the, sure enough, the practice, it's the practice's call on this. They say, actually, you know, we are going to treat you as within IR35. We are going to start um, uh, paying tax and national insurance on your behalf and paying you sort of PAYE. What's, it, is there a positive to that? What's, yes. What and, can you do?
0: And that is really the the, the bent of the article, really, is, is that actually is... is, is there's a lot, lot to be said for going with that definition. If they're going to treat you for tax purposes as an employee, then we suggest you go the whole hog. Uh, I'm, I'm just laughing at myself because actually the, the title of the article is is make a silk purse into it. soundsy Sal, and silk purse. And yes, I've, okay. And I've got a picture of you and I've just said hog. Hog. Okay. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so um, yes, to so go the whole hog and actually and go be- become um, an employee in terms of your um and contractual rights and, and and put this to the practice. If they're gonna tax you, then you might as well treat you. And that opens up this whole thing about you getting um paid annual leave, paid sick leave, and various other rights as a what's an employee and I'm doing little air quotes here, or as a worker, because a worker is an actual legal definition of a type of employee between
1: halfway sorry, halfway, halfway house.
0: Somewhere. Yeah, but you still yes. get you
1: still get rights. I mean, so just to be clear being seen as within IR35 for tax purposes so being seen as employed an employee by by the HMRC by the tax man doesn't necessarily mean that you're it's different from being yeah. an employee under this other category employment under employment law but it does open up that possibility that conversation about negotiating um, something like uh, a contract in your in your favour, yes. because let's face it. Um, I mean, you could say, uh, the, taking the bigger picture, this change has come about because tax revenues for the government and essential services are going down because more people are moving to a gig economy and self employed status, etc. They need tax, okay. Um, but the reason why self employed people tend to be treated slightly slightly more advantageously by the tax system is because we are self-employed and we don't have paid leave annual leave etc sick leave so if someone's going to come along and say well you're employed you're an employee I'm going to tax you slightly uh, more because you're an employee Mm -hmm. Well then, the the reply to that is well, okay. I've I want some of what employees get then.
0: Definitely, um, mm-hmm. and 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 uh, and and if you happen to have had been taken holiday and not got paid for it over the last few years, or you've taken had to take time off sick and not been paid for it, b- b- raise this with the practice or whoever wants to make you an employee for tax purposes, and then they 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 might actually change their definition. But the other thing to mention, of course, is pensions too now of course as a freelance gp locum you get the nhs pension scheme but if you're a salaried in this case you'd become a salaried gp the pension scheme is better one thing you get death in service mm. and of course that means if even if just one, if you work in five ten different practices even if you're just do it as an employee in one practice your death in service will then apply across the board Does it? Yeah. yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. um so um so it can have some really great positive effects as well
1: so don't run away from ir35 if you genuinely are it's very individual i think but if you genuinely are in that situation where you do have a very regular relationship with the practice it might not be the end of the world by the sounds of it mm-hmm. it might be that there are some positives and I guess at the end of the day if you can't come to an agreement and you're not happy you you go elsewhere but the practice either might go with it and you know you're all happy or the practice might say oh actually i've redone the tool and you're not <laughs> an employee anymore but there um, should
0: we should be able to get a satisfactory out, outcome of, of, of these sorts of ex- exchanges with, with the practice well at the end of the day we're all reasonable people well, at least we should be and um, and, and hopefully this article has got a lot more detail in it take a look um and uh, and that can help where to next, Doctor Fieldhouse? Oh yes, um, podcasts. Now, I did. I think I mentioned in the last podcast that at the um, uh, conference I met up with. Um, uh, I called him podcast guy in the last podcast, Matthew, who um, who came up to me. To, um and he's also he's since then he's emailed to with a, with a, some really interesting recommendations, um, and we've started listening to some of these podcasts. The first is the Drug and Therapeutics Bulletin, and and. It really took me back listening, because no, I used to read this avenue. Yes, me. I did. It was my favourite. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. the podcast, I thought, was really good. Yeah. It was um, David Fazakali, who is a Chichester lad, um, often seen in Waitrose, and um, I think David Cave. The two editors, James Cave. And um, so they, they basically, it comes out once a month, and it's a, it's they talk about the articles... Um, the 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 drugs they've been reviewing or whatever uh, in each and I found I actually found them really both very useful. I listened to two of those podcasts.
1: It's it's a great it's a great way to to learn. Yeah. And, um, uh, i think it's different for different people but i personally find it a great a great way to learn yeah short snappy and you had a tip you with
0: a nice yeah I, i've i in system. the over the last year i've changed the way i i, I interact at meetings is i now write down everything um because it just helps me focus and listen much more otherwise my mind goes awol so i'm writing as i'm listening to this i'm writing it down in my um in my moleskin evernote notebook and then I write. I summarise each podcast on a page. I write down all my clinical notes on it, my learning points, and I then, with this, with Evernote and with this book, you can then scan, scan in the article, and then I will upload that into my. A clarity toolkit, um, and therefore I, I, I and, and do some. I've, we've got some in in, a, in ESGP appraisal aid. We've got the reflection templates, so we'll see reflect in that that. Um, so that's my way of recording these podcasts for CPD. And okay. the other, the other one um, briefly was the BMJ podcast as well, um, which is a lot longer. The D T B one was only 10 minutes. that about sort of, 10
1: to 15 minutes. Yeah, TV,
0: BMJ so. was 40 minutes and of course it crosses secondary care as well. But that was also, it, was, it gives a different slant so it was really good mm-hmm. um, and t- taking all that in. Okay. And um, yeah, Matthew recommends a couple of, because he uses an Android uh, mo- a, a smartphone, recommended the Podbean and the Pocket Casts um, um, apps for podcasts. Okay. Um, and then a couple more things lastly is is the um, the upcoming uh, Birmingham LMC Sessional GP conference on the seventh of uh, December uh, in Birmingham. Full details of that if you go to the NASGP uh, Facebook page or the NASGP Facebook group, there's a link to the Facebook page from that. There's All the details on there. There's a link through to the NASGP website. You can sign up; it's free, um, and uh, that will be. And, and um, we're, we will be there, and oh, yes. I'll be giving a talk. Uh, on how to hit the ground running as a locum GP, and just for, lastly, um, in uh, in the email we're sending out this friday the 3rd of november and um, we've got a small survey we're doing because as we as as the momentum is, is 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 hotting up with more and more locums now using locum deck and using the instant book feature of it um we've been um getting some really good feedback from from users and we've been speaking to people to see how they're finding it and what improvements can make but we've had quite a few more and more members complaining that they have using other organisations um, to that they've had work booked through, these locums reporting that they've been they've had last minute cancellations, um, almost literally last minute cancellations. And because these organisations are not allowing the locums to define have their own terms and conditions, to having to use the organisation's terms and conditions, it means there is no little or no cancellation. Um, penalty for the practice, which is kind of turning us GP locums into zero hours contract workers. Which, as a national organisation that's been running for twenty years to support sessional GPs, who fully believe that 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 the best way to utilise the GP workforce, the GP workforce, locum workforce, is to enable us to define our own professional boundaries and have respect for the way we want to work. And you don't do that by just pressing a button to tell the locum that they're actually no longer needed, mm. probably because they found a cheaper mm. locum. Mm. It's just not good. It's very short-sighted. And so there's a little link to a very short uh, f- survey form.
1: Yeah. We just want to find out how prevalent it is, yeah. because anecdotally reports are coming in, and we just want to know if that's affected... Anybody else? What I mean, we between us, we've called it um, almost like zero hours, but because effectively that person's on standby, they've been on hold, and then they find out that they're just not needed. So it has that's our sort of rather prerogative terminology for it. But yes. um, uh, I don't know what you've called it in. in is, it, is it all clearly labelled in the email? Yeah, it's
0: all clearly labelled in the, in the right. the with the email. Okay. Yeah. Oh, right. right thanks very much Uh, thanks Sarah and um, uh, yeah um, look forward to uh, talking to you again in, in our next podcast goodbye bye